that's going to be a tough, tough thing to say. You got to replace Buster Posey. Joey Bart got rushed last year because of the pandemic yeah. and Posey opting out. Giants keep adding catchers um, during the draft. It's really been an emphasis. I don't think they're going like, we got to replace Buster, you know, at some point. So maybe we'll hit on somebody. Um, my best guess is the, the way you do it is you have a stopgap free agent type that could handle that kind of, you know, um, uh, expectation and mm-hmm. the difficulty of filling in uh, for such huge shoes. But honestly, the way he's playing, Posey's got another few years left. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Clauses by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by California Sports Writer of the Year, Ooh, right? Right? Yes, yes. Former president of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and the National League is very excited to have you now in the fold as Giants beat writer Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. We're at Oracle Park, which I have to remind myself to say, because I don't think it was Oracle Park last time I was here. It's been so long. Right, because uh, it was last year during the pandemic year, but it was just the NL West that got to see Oracle Park, uh, as did I when I was covering the A's for my eight millionth year in a row. Um, <laughs> so it's really delightful to join the second best baseball podcast, because I believe I have the first best. Oh, that's uh, fine. That's fine. Giant Splash. If anybody wants to hear, hear any Giants podcast, I'm guessing Cardinals fans are like, nope, nope. They were all very nice to me when I was covering the A's because of Stephen Piscotti. So I, oh, hope, sure. I, I hope some of them are still uh, hanging out and following me now that I'm with the Giants. There's a lot of fondness for the A's in general in St. Louis because, oh, cool. A, they're the other league, yeah. but then McGuire and La Russa and all the connections that they have there. I mean, yeah. there was it was somewhat like which came first, the A's or the Cardinals, but they definitely had a relationship that you could feel across the uh, interleague bridge. Yeah, I think the Cardinals fans are my second favorite fan base after. Well, can I say that the A's fan base is still, still my favorite? Uh, the Giants fan base is what I meant. <laughs> um, they're the best. Uh, no, I, I really... Um, I really, really uh, took to the Cardinal fan base. They were wonderful. And, you know, every time anything happened with Piscotti, um, they immediately jumped on board, including, like, helping with charity efforts and getting word out and contributing to things and, and stuff with all the, the Piscotti family's ALS work. Uh, so I'm really – everybody knows that the Cardinals fans – no baseball as well as any fan base and they're so loyal and so dedicated so i'm wondering how they're doing this year derek i this is your podcast so you should be asking me questions but yeah. how is the fan base doing this year they uh well it depends on what medium they choose to <laughs> voice their frustrations on twitter they are uh apoplectic oh. um they use euphemisms like accountability for really they want someone to lose their job which nice. is fascinating um and there's a lot of frustration there is uh there's discord in car nation um, but they still stealth tickets so it's hard to know like does it manifest as consumers saying we want a better product or does the history you know just bring them out and then the the team is like well we're, we're contending kind of you know, yeah. so it's it's really hard. It depends on where you go. Message boards can be volcanic and vile, <laughs> and Twitter can be angry all the time and want its uh, pound of flesh. And then you know, then you get emails that are. No, those are caustic too. Um, so it's hard to yeah. it's hard to know. I mean, but as you know, and from following baseball, I mean, anything less than five hundred for the Cardinals is not acceptable. Right. They've had such a good long run of success. I know not 
you know, not often exactly where they would like to be ultimately. But, mm-hmm. man, it's been a great organization for so long. So great an organization. I always just expect they'll be, even when they have a down season, that they'll be back the next year because they're they're so well run. But, yeah, you, uh, the social media thing, like Twitter, everybody's angry, right? Mm-hmm. Giants fans, like the Giants have the best record in the major leagues all year, completely out of nowhere. Nobody saw this coming. Giants fans are still angry about an awful lot. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the bullpen or, you know, why isn't this guy starting or why doesn't Buster play first base on the days he's he's not catching? It's it's always something. Nobody's happy. You beat me to the question I wanted to ask you is whether or not the Giants snuck up on the NL West. All the attention. In fact, I was talking with John Brebbia, former Cardinal, now Giants reliever, and he said one of the best parts about coming back beyond just checking the box that he's healthy and his elbow's good and he's able to pitch again. He said one of the best things is all winter long I heard how good the Dodgers and the Padres were and now I'm playing for the team that's in first place ahead of them. Yeah, yeah, it's a surprise for sure. And yeah, the 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 focus was, and actually still kind of is, on the Dodgers and Padres um, early in the season. Uh, especially national TV kept trying to give us the Dodgers and the Padres. That's the new rivalry thing, and the Giants were like. Okay, you know, here we are. We're we're you know either in first place or they were right around first place early, and now it's just kept going. But the national narrative is still trying to push the mm-hmm. Dodgers and the Padres. They're yeah. the big new rivalry, and the Giants are like, all right, that works for us. Maybe we'll keep going under the radar here. And it's uh, they are a surprise, but you know, here we are, more than halfway through the schedule, and. You know, they're leading the division still. So somebody's got to, at some point, maybe notice that they are actually the story in the division right now. How did it happen? Like, just in, I mean, how? 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 Yeah, how? <laughs> I think we're all still asking that. Um, the starting pitching has been a lot better, I think, than anticipated, although now we're starting to see a, a few little, you know, uh, the injuries are creeping in like they are with everybody. To me, the biggest difference, and again, I was not here last year, but I was watching from afar, but um, the biggest difference is having Buster Posey back. And that's an easy, easy, easy thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a probably a future Hall of Famer who steps out for a year, opted out because he and his wife had two little newborn uh, adopted girls at home and uh, didn't want to take any chances during the pandemic. Totally understandable. Um, And he has come back. He looks like not just Buster Posey before he, you know, he opted out, but he looks like vintage Buster Mm -hmm. Posey. The hip is totally healed with that year off. I think it really did him a world of good. You know, hey, who knows? Maybe it would have been great this year anyway, but he looks fantastic. Uh, The difference he makes with a pitching staff is massive. And then Kirk Casale, uh, as a backup catcher, I'm not sure you could find better. Uh, he was not hitting. He had hamate surgery in the offseason, mm, yeah. and he was not right to start the season. Got a week and a half off, came back, and looks so much better offensively. So he's even contributing some offensively, but both of them are top-notch working with the pitching staff. The pitching staff has been good. And it's all the old guys. When So when I took over the beat, everybody was like, oh, I kept hearing they've got all these big contracts coming off the books this next year. You know, they've got uh, Crawford and Belt and uh, Cueto and maybe Buster. They have a team option on Buster. These have been their best players. Longoria. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's hurt right now, but... Um, Longorio is kind of the guy that got things going the first month and a half or so. Crawford has just been magnificent throughout. Posey, obviously, I just said. Uh, and when Belt has been ha- healthy, he's been you know providing his usual great defense and, and also contributing offensively. So it's been the old guys. And then the depth pieces. This front office is one of the better ones in baseball. 
at uh, making incremental moves. And all these kind of, they love the utility guys. And mm-hmm. all these utility guys have wound up being so important because they've lost so many guys at so many different positions. And they could just automatically plug in a utility guy, most of whom can hit. They're looking for very uh, easily identifiable guys, you know, guys with high on-base percentage, who don't strike out a lot, play multiple positions. Maybe not, you know, they're not gold glove winners at any one position, but they can, they're not going to kill you at any one. And so all of these things together are really working and you've got a coaching staff that's now in its second year and I think feeling comfortable there. They're young, there were a lot of question marks, a lot mm-hmm. of skepticism. You got 14 coaches and a lot of them don't have any experience and uh, people didn't play in the majors and all that kind of stuff. They've been great. <laughs> that coaching yeah, staff is super impressive. Well, can you give me an example of how you see that? I, I, uh, uh, Donnie Acker, we know from the Cardinals yeah. organization yeah. and then moved up and he was with the Reds and is now back in his home, well, yeah, in his home area. Yeah. He's right from around yeah. here. Yeah, um, and he's the hitting coach. I am fascinated by Brian, Brian Bannister um, as a rising kind of star as far yeah. as coaches go. Um, just And that's just me from afar, hearing about some of the things, hearing from people who know him about some of the things that they're doing here with pitching. Yeah. Um, how do you see that? I mean, you see it in the results, but yeah. but what's the what's the process, I guess, is the fancy word now, that you can see the, in, the fingerprints of the coaching staff? Well, you know what? I think the big question when they all came in was, how are the veteran players going to react? And um, Brandon Crawford talks all the time about this coaching staff has like helped me regain my stroke. You know, the, all the work they did with him on the, on his bat path and, you know, just changing a few little things. And he swears by them. Mm-hmm. Almost all the older players do, which that shows you, uh, you know, and if the older players hadn't been on board, things might be very different. Here. Yeah. But um, uh, Bannister's an interesting one. He's kind of very much behind the scenes. He's almost a mystery man here as far as, at least as far as the uh, the press is concerned. He does not talk. We don't really see him. But he is he's really masterminding all of what they've been doing from guys uh, helping with guys they've targeted, mm-hmm. Dee Sclafani, Gosman, guys like that, um, to doing that for a reason. You know, he sees different things. Uh, and I'm throwing Andrew Bailey and some of their other pitching sure. coaches in here too. But um, – you know, they're looking at the data. They're looking at pitch usage. They're looking at pitch shapes, which I think is my favorite new baseball um, term because I was like, what is a pitch shape? And, but mm-hmm. what the idea is, it shifted. A few years ago, um, everything was change the eye level, change the eye level. Now it's not. It's like throw things at the same sort of in the same sort of area, but different pitches. And mm-hmm. can we make sure that if you've got two pitches that look really similar and you can throw them in the same spot, that you really, mm-hmm. you know, that's really the emphasis here. And so you're shaping them to kind of so they're both kind of going in the same plane and really, um, you know, confusing hitters, messing up timing, all of that kind of thing. It's just not identifiable. And it's been, uh, it's really worked, especially somebody like somebody with Gosman and DiSclefani and those yeah. were guys they specifically went out and got for that reason. We watched Gosman pitch against the Cardinals in the first game here, and in that split was, I mean, that thing off the fastball. Uh, Matt Carpenter described, he goes, you know, you come in here and you're like, okay, that split is going to be tough, but he can't throw it for a strike. And then in his first at bat, he gets two for strikes. And he was like, well, that's that's what is happening. Is you, you, it's exactly what you're talking about, the, like the tunneling notion. Like the fastball and the split are at the same spot, and then the split drops out. And is, But if he can throw it for a strike, you have to be respectful of it. And yeah. It makes him – I mean, that's, there's a reason why he's, what, second to DeGrom in yeah. ERA and pitching very well. So is this – does it catch up with them? I mean, are they are they overperforming at this point 
because uh, it's new and they're different and they're not playing for and you know they're they're playing loose. Does it catch up with them? Well, the, I think the injuries are something. I, I well, but I've been saying this since the start of the season, and we know every team's had like far more than uh, the norm when it comes yeah. to injuries. Um, but they've had so many key pieces out. Um, uh, if they can get some of these guys back, maybe they uh, maybe they can. You know, the Longoria sometime maybe this month, Listella sometime this month. Uh, you know, a few other pieces here and there. But um, yeah, uh, fans were wait- waiting for the June swoon. Right? Didn't mm-hmm. really happen. Um, in fact, they played very well in June. Uh, the Cardinals had enough for everybody. The Cardinals swooned for the entire league. <laughs> they and the Cubs, they took care of it. Yeah, in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, uh, playing Arizona as many times as they do has also helped the Giants. Let's let's also let's yeah. be honest. I mean, my, they've made a lot of hay against Arizona. So, um, you know, I, I keep kind of thinking like, okay, this is the thing. This is going to be kind of the last straw, and then you know. They might, they're going to be competitive, but I don't know if they're going to keep leading the division. Here come the Dodgers and the Padres. But they have uh, they keep defying expectations, and some of that is you know all these depth pieces. And the wild card here is going to be the tra- trade deadline. They have the wherewithal, both in terms of prospects. They're, they're, like everybody, they're not going to move any of their really top prospects. Uh, but payroll, that they could make some very interesting mm-hmm. moves. And they've sort of said, like, hey, if we see it, uh, and ownership sees it, we, we, we've we got the ability to take on payroll. So I think that they are going to swing big. Uh, and this will be the first time in the in the Farhan Zaidi era that they go out and make a big splash. And everybody kind of expected that they might last winter. Um, that was not the plan. This was sort of, this was supposed to be kind of a, you know, the year that was the big step before they started contending. Yeah. So they're a year ahead. So they didn't make any moves in the offseason. I think this trade deadline, I think maybe they make some, uh, I think they make at least one significant move and probably add a, a, you know, a bullpen piece or two. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come out really swinging. There, there's so many things that you've said about the Giants that I hear, and it feels like I'm talking about the Dodgers, like <laughs> six, seven years ago. You know, like the, the, uh. the moving pieces, the versatile players. Um, you know, the other night, the Giants used three consecutive pinch hitters because of the matchups. I mean, this is like stuff like watching the Dodgers do as they, you know, brought in Taylor and Muncie and, you know, and then found their everyday players by moving those guys around and getting the matchups. And then, like, just what you said about, well, this is the chance for them to swing big. Well, that's eventually what the Dodgers did, too. They started using their uh, their pocketbook um, beyond getting depth. I mean, they had like the $18 million AAA team to right. create depth, and then they used it to get, you know, like the Mookie Betts trade and some of these other moves that yeah. they've made. It, this is kind of like, I mean, it's no, it should be no surprise, right, that the Dodgers are following, or I'm sorry, that the Giants are following kind of a Dodgers right. blueprint. And it really all kind of came from the Rays, right? Because you got Aiden right. Friedman, uh, and the Rays and the A's, Friedman and Farhan. And now Farhan's here. Um, you know, it's sort of Rays, A's, Dodgers, Giants, and it's very similar. The um, really uh, loading up on utility types, mm-hmm. and you know, it's oh, the Moneyball on base thing was always way too much of a simpl- oversimplification. Of right. course, everybody knew about on base percentage, but the way they specifically target some of the things they're looking for, very similar. Like I, people keep going, what's the biggest difference between? covering the A's and the Giants and honestly payroll is the only real difference because they do things really similarly and they're always thinking about the next incremental move but here they can spend an awful lot more for it if they want. Where where is that move? I mean like 
I am. I, it, Brandon Crawford, I think, is you know the MVP against the Cardinals. Every time I see him play, he's and he and he's so underrated. Like it so feels great. weird to say this, but he's underrated defensively, oh, yeah. and he's so superb at that. Um, but yet, if you're going to make a big move, shortstop's out there as a big move to make. So where do they? Where would they go? Well, I mean, at the, at the deadline, I think they've got to get a, a frontline starter, okay. um, and then this coming off season. I, you know, I think they probably were going to go after one of the big name shortstops. Now I think they got to, they probably got to keep Crawford, or the fan base is going to revolt. <laughs> Plus, you know, he'd come back here for a little bit uh, cheaper, and, they, and they've got uh, Marco Luciano coming eventually. So, um, but yeah, it's funny you mentioned him being underrated defensively because obviously in the Bay Area, I know he's a good defensive player, and I've yeah. seen him tons in interleague and in the spring and um, covering postseasons and things like that. But man, when you watch him every day. Holy cow. He's on another level than what I knew just from having seen him mm-hmm. a handful of times a year. Uh, really just a special defensive player. And it seems like he gets three hits a night this year. So I just, I'm like, is he, is Brandon Crawford the MVP or something? I mean, I just, it's just crazy. Yeah. Does that, I mean, do they maybe get creative then? I mean, it could you could do... I mean, these shortstops can play other positions. True. You know, I mean, could you get creative? I mean, Manny Machado moved. True. Well, they got Longoria coming back. He's still yeah. a very good yeah, high-level uh, third baseman. Um, and I think they really, you know, Listel has barely played here, and he's been hurt, yeah. uh, was underperforming before he got hurt. But, um, you know, I, I think they see him as the second baseman, but he can also play first. Brandon Belt, when you look at those big contracts that are coming off the books, Belt and Cueto are the two guys where you go, like, they're probably gone. Okay. Um, but I, to me, they've got to do something to bring Crawford back, and certainly they've got to, they've got a big option on Posey. I think they probably look at reworking that, and obviously giving him another year or two, you know, and an option or whatever beyond that, because those two have just been, I mean, fantastic. And uh, seriously, especially Crawford, you know, homegrown mm-hmm. and been here, and they've both been saying forever, "I want to finish my career here." I think at some point the front office is going to have to go. Yeah, okay. I think that's probably going to work out somehow. And we'll also give you like a coaching deal or a, like whatever, you know, whatever they do in TV, like a development deal, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. The Cardinals have kind of had to deal with that with Wainwright and Molina. You know, it's the same kind of like, how do they, and they, they keep going a year beyond what they want, a year beyond what they want. What happens when the Giants put some financial might behind what they've done here? And not to say that they're like some mid-market payroll. They're pretty good payroll, yeah. pretty good-sized payroll. Do, do, is there is there enough oxygen in the National League for anybody but the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres in the near future? I mean, that's t- it's going to be tough to have them all in one division. And that's one of the reasons the Giants did not go out and make a big move this last offseason. Like, mm. why are we going to go out and sign a guy for $20 million a year if we're not going to be in the postseason. Um, I think their one shot was, you know, they thought at the time was expanded playoffs, and then there weren't expanded playoffs. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes down, but I do think the Giants are certainly going to go for something with a significant move at midseason, and I think they, if they feel like they have a window, and I'm sure they do feel like that, um, you know, what they do in this offseason. But they've got, they've got good prospects coming, too. So, uh, and it's a very, very smart, very savvy front office. So, um, I, I wouldn't bet against them, mm-hmm. even in a division like the NOS. How do you think this being a second stop for Gabe Kapler helps him as a manager? 
Massive, massive. You know, I covered Bob Melvin for so long, and and he was always big on the idea. You know, it was his third job. Mm-hmm. He was always big on the the fact that you learn so much, and especially in your first job, that you apply to your second job, and of course, you take something out of the second job too. But um, it's really that second job is huge. Terry Francona, mm-hmm. famously, his first job was with the Phillies. There's not, there aren't really many cities that are rougher for a first-time manager than philadelphia it's a rough rough fan base they are brutal the media is not you know gonna take it easy on you if you stumble at all um and he comes here and i'm not saying that we're uh you know it's this is not a homer market or anything but we're a little bit you know it's a little bit maybe more uh but the thoughtful and um not less not not so um, knee-jerk critical, mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I think he's like that. His second season with the team, and of course last year with the pandemic, uh, yeah, they finished one game out of a playoff spot right. um, with a team that continually improved. So I think he is um, certainly better at delegating. He's got that massive staff. Um, and just better at uh, probably everything, dealing with the media, dealing with veteran players, like all those little things that managers really have to do. It is, it's managing people. It's not, people think of it as a strategy job. The biggest thing to me, covering numerous managers, is that it's managing people. You gotta manage up with the front office, manage down with the players, you gotta manage the media fan base to some extent and he's doing a really really good job with all of those things there are elements of being a beat writer where you have to manage a little bit too like with people oh no not with what people am I gonna do? no but like <laughs> no not people but like expectations yeah. and stuff like you have yeah. to get a read on the fan base you have to get a read on yeah. their expectations yeah. what for you has been some something that you've learned moving from covering the A's for so long to now the the Giants beat just whether it's about what the fans expect or whether you know how you relay the expectations of the team as opposed to not covering the little engine that could but now covering the the big locomotive that should yeah. you know that kind of thing well that's a you know there were a lot of fans that were very upset that they didn't go out and you know sign a big name in the off season that's kind of what they were used to in the previous era it's not going to happen now unless they feel like it's going to be worth their while. And I think that's going from ownership all the way down. Um, and I, since they've accelerated things, you know, I think Giants fans will be happy that they probably are going to start spending a little bit more. Um, but the, one of the weirder things for me with the fan base is I think it's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously bigger, so it's hard for me to say in general. But I have to say the strangest thing is I get so many emails um, from male Giants fans. Mm-hmm. I almost never got emails from Ace fans. They're all on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I would get yeah, yeah. I would get tons of stuff on Facebook, tons of stuff on Twitter, of course, tons of stuff, on, you know, everywhere. But um, it's a lot of emails every day. So I think it's an older older fan base. Uh, probably a little bit more affluent, a little bit less tech savvy. So I'm wildly, really? I'm wildly, wildly oversimplifying and generalizing. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But but uh, I do think it's an it's an old, probably a little bit of an older fan base. Or maybe it's just that they've got so many more fans and they do mm. that I'm just seeing more of that kind of stuff, period. But it's, I, it's I get letters. Do you get letters? I get letters. I get actual I'm letters. Sure I do, but um, nobody, there's nobody in our office forwarding letters right now oh. so <laughs> <laughs> i uh we've been I, I went back to the office for the first time in eight 
19 months, maybe 19 months. Um, but I was getting forwarded mail, um, like cool story and total name drop. But I would get my mail forward mm-hmm. to me because people were sending me the baseball card, oh, which was like yeah. such a cool perk yeah, of so the awesome. baseball card. Yeah. Um, and I would get letters from English teachers about how they were going to give them as prizes. Oh, and it was really like it was like this really rewarding thing. Oh, yeah. um, but mixed in there was also <laughs> emails like <laughs> correcting my grammar or not emails, but letters like highlighted like, you know, um, but I, but I do get letters from Cardinal fans, which probably speaks to there's probably a really some there's a, probably a strong similarity between the Giants fan base on the Cardinals fan base. Um, different reasons that they are so spread out. You know, yeah. one team moved and the other one is spread out because it didn't move right. um, and instead had this whole region to cover. Yeah. Um, but there, there's probably some similarities. There. Do they? Uh, would they have allowed a rebuilding year? Do you think would Giants fans have allowed, permitted a rebuilding year? I mean, they've been frustrated the last few years. So I think they wanted to start seeing results. I would have argued, um, had I been covering the team last year, that uh, the fact that the team in a two-month season improved tremendously from one month to the next mm-hmm. um, kind of showed that they were certainly on the right track. And yeah. they just missed out on, a, on an expanded playoff spot. But certainly this year, I mean, you can't really argue argue that their plan has uh, is a poor one this year. So, um, yeah, I think they probably would have. I mean, what choice would they have? Like, jump off board or stop spending their money? I mean, uh, the attendance was down pretty significantly before yeah. the before the pandemic season. But we, you know, it's co- it's coming back. I think there's interest. This team always dominates the media market when it comes to baseball, certainly, um, and so they do have the edge there. So I don't. I I think that um, this team has done a very good job of explaining kind of what they were doing mm-hmm. and uh, maybe tempering expectations. So I don't know even know how they approach this year. Like, uh, oh, yeah, way better than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> but also <laughs> just kind of still keep expectations down. I don't know. That's not going to be possible anymore. The way you described Buster Posey earlier, um, somewhat as a guy who's quality control um, and is very similar in echoes of the way folks will describe Yadier or Molina, mm-hmm. you've had a chance this season to be – you know, up close and from the press box, and watch how Buster Posey man- manages and handles a pitching staff and changes a game. What was your perception from afar of Yadier Molina and, and maybe the similarities of those two that you, you see? Yeah, it's a, that's a really good, um, really good comparison. Obviously, they're just magnificent working with pitchers. Um, you know, and the work ethic, and you know, the time that it takes to. Um, get to know all the pitchers, quirks, likes, dislikes, understand their stuff, and then also all of the, the game plans, the opposing teams, all of that kind of stuff. And also still throughout both of their careers, generally speaking, be um, a positive force offensively. It's, it's just amazing. Uh, really, really similar. I mean, how delightful for people to get to see two such really great catcher, like all-time great catchers um, during this kind of decade, decade and a half. I mean, it's really, those two, um, and, you know, people always talk about catchings down, and we don't see those kind of great catchers anymore. Here are two of them. I mean, it's really delightful. So, so the only difference really maybe speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, an MVP, like yeah, an, MV- sure. an MVP, that's, that makes Buster stand out sure. a little bit. Sure. Um, gold gloves, his... the other, I mean, they, yeah. their entire career, they've gone head to head for a yeah. gold glove. Imagine if they were in opposite leagues. Yeah. This, this could be the second second time in his career Buster's been the comeback player of the year, too. Oh, that's right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I don't know. Do you qualify as comeback player of the year if you opt out? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Um, I'm I'm not really clear on the no, the standards no of a comeback no player. Um, it's it's a little bit like silver sluggers and, and gold gloves, <laughs> yeah. where you go like I who who votes for that? What we're, what goes into it? We're all very transparent <laughs> with the Writers Association awards. Like here's who votes. Here's yeah. how we voted. And everything and then like people are like you guys never get the gold gloves right. And it's like correct. We never, never get the because we, we never vote for them. So did. we will never. We also never get them wrong. Right. But <laughs> so, so um, I'm sure you've had this happen too. But I've had co- you know it's coaches and managers and now they do throw in sure. subst- uh, there's a statistical element too but um, I've had coaches toward the end of the season go like who's playing really well at second base <laughs> like tell like I've got to fill out my ballot like you're the one that's the expert you're supposed to know yeah, I, it's uh, like pa- players filling out their all-star ballots when they'll be like who's a good DH yeah don't you remember from playing against them at least yeah I uh I once was with a coach as he was filling out the gold glove and he was looking at fielding percentage. I'm like, come on, man, please don't. And we were talking about it and eventually like, he was like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. But he was like, he just wanted to get through it. I was like, please don't like, you know, like the vote for the guy who has like a nine, nine, eight fielding percentage at third base. And Scott Rowland is there at nine, eight because Scott Rowland is, willing to try something the other guy right. is not so right. well i mean at a lot of times it was just who had the best batting average right, right. Uh, you know yeah. rafael per- the rafael palmero right year. yeah so we make a big deal about one team players and that is actually something as we talked about that the giants and cardinals shares they've mm-hmm. been able to have these kind of legacy players um and we do celebrate that notion that they're they're rare and yet two teams both of whom have won championships uh, have catchers who are likely to spend their entire career with those teams. Um, what happens when Buster Posey retires? Because that is the reckoning that the Cardinals also have to figure out, is what happens when Yadier retires. What happens here when Buster Posey retires? The Giants have been loading up on catchers in the draft, um, but, you know, that's it, going to be a tough tough thing to say you got to replace Buster Posey and Joey Bart got rushed last year because of the pandemic yeah. and Posey opting out it did not do him any favors I don't think um and the Giants keep adding catchers um during the draft it's really been an emphasis I don't think they're going like we got to replace Buster you know at some point so maybe we'll hit on somebody um my best guess is the the way you do it is you have a stopgap free agent type that could handle that kind of you know um uh, expectation and the mm. difficulty of filling in uh, for such huge shoes. Um, that's probably the best way to go about it. But honestly, the way he's playing, Posey's got another few years left here. So uh, by that point, you know, we get a Joey Bart or a Patrick Bailey or somebody like that, and they're going to be fine. Have you enjoyed the NL? Have you enjoyed the National League? I, You know, I love American League cities, um, and I'm getting to know National League cities a little bit more. So I'm very much looking forward to going to St. Louis this month, um, a city I don't actually know that well. I've been twice, I think, wow. maybe three times. I went once for a World Series, so yeah, uh, once for an All-Star game, uh, a couple times in the League. So anyway, but I don't know it well, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, 
It'll be warm. It'll be warm. It will be warm. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I do. I've spent a lot of time in Kansas City in, in uh, July, which is not, <laughs> not my favorite, especially back when it was, you know, the, the AstroTurf. Oh, God, oh, it gosh. was brutal. Yeah. Um, I, I'm never going to warm to pitchers hitting. I, I don't care. You know, unless it's Shohei Otani, I don't want to see it. I really don't. Well, it's almost over. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Almost I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. That'll it's be a good thing. Over. I know the purists hate it when I say that, but I just don't. I've, uh, you know, it, no. Yeah. Mike Schultz has just dispensed with all sort of whatever he's supposed to do to play along. He's like, I think we're seeing the end of it. I think everybody, the, we all know that it's the DH is coming to an end. So. Yeah, for sure. You brought it with you. Well, that's yeah. what we'll say. Yeah, you, it's my fault. If it people want to blame me, if oh, that's I was what giving you credit. Okay, <laughs> credit blame. Either way, if it gets rid gets rid of pitchers hitting, I'm all in favor, except for uh, except for Otani. Except for Otani. Yeah. And, and Adam Wainwright will, will argue, okay. and him until he retires. Is Adam Wainwright available on the uh, trade market? Because, you know, there might be a team around here that might have some interest. <laughs> <laughs> Padres offered him a contract. Yeah. yeah. We'll find out. Well, okay, so that's the last one. I mean, that's that's where the Card- Cardinals are at. Their tipping point, yeah. right around the All-Star game. They have, all the, they have these two series against the Giants. Here, they've won two of three already. Um, that hasn't knocked the Giants off their perch. Um but it has given the Cardinals some, you know, breath as a right. contender. Um, you know, the Cardinals have to make a choice, and they got the Cubs right around there as well. Where the Giants are buyers, yeah. and the Cardinals aren't going to change that. Um, but do you have a sense of what these series do for the Giants? I mean, uh, you know, have they gone from, um, hey, we're a surprise underdog, and now do they kind of move into the okay? You know, build confidence by doing what no one expected, and now start playing like a team that's going to win a division. Yeah, I think they're going to go try to go for it in any way they possibly can. I think they've they've seen that they have a a lot of good elements on this team that could. You know, the, a lot of times when the Giants were uh, did their three championships in five years, they were not the best team in right. the league that year. So they know that they've uh, as long as they've got a lot of good elements and they can stay in it. Uh, that they've got a shot no matter what, even if they happen to be the wild card team in the West. So I think they're going for it big time. Uh, but yeah, I think I think they're certainly evaluating some guys on some teams they're playing in the event that they <laughs> were to make anybody available. Um, Zaghi was interesting talking about. We talked a couple of weeks ago for a podcast, and um, he was saying, you know, the substance thing is um, going to be interesting when it comes to evaluating pitching because they need starting pitching um, like everybody does. Uh, and uh, so I think they'll be taking a quick, uh, close look at everybody's spin rates and, uh-huh, and results uh-huh. post checks, post stickiness, post stickiness. Um, but yeah, I, they're going for it, and I think I, I think a you know a frontline start or something that they would really like. We'll see if they can do it or not. Yeah, Adam Wainwright in Giants. I don't know what that would do to uh, in Giants Orange. I don't know what that would do to Cardinals Nation. That would be a lot for them I to like take it. it. I like it. His, 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 he hit his first home run in his first event here at this ballpark on oh, his well, wife's birthday. He he talks about it all the time. That makes all the difference then, oh, yeah. especially for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, yeah. he's a pitcher that can hit. Fantastic. That's then, great. 
Well, the NL is happy to have you. I'm thrilled, and and, and you know it'll be nice to to tell you all about St. Louis Yay. as you come to town. Uh, toasted ravioli, right? Right, that's toasted ravioli. Yeah. yeah, that's a thing. Um, so is beer, provel cheese. Beer and, revel- and uh, ravioli. I'm on board with that. Lots of lots of a uh, lots of craft beer. The uh, the Budweiser diaspora has created a lot of craft beer areas and and sneaky good food places. Oh, I'm even more looking forward to it. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give you a list. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Oh. Always, Derek. Thanks for inviting me. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closet by Design St. Louis. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find BPIB anywhere you get your podcast, including iTunes, where you can rate and review the podcast. I do go there to read the reviews of the podcast and know what to do next and what direction the, the community wants the podcast to go in. You can also find BPIB at stltoday.com with all of the constant Cardinals coverage from all of the baseball writers at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Two of us will be headed to the All-Star Game at Coors Field in Denver, including Hall of Fame baseball writer Rick Hummel, who will be covering his 41st consecutive All-Star Game. I will also be there. And that means so will BPIB. So stay tuned for a best podcast in baseball, hopefully from the All-Star Game from All-Star Week there in Denver. And as always, thank you for listening. This podcast does not exist without the listeners out there. And because of you, it continues. So thanks. Look forward to talking to you soon. Enjoy the All-Star. Game.